It's not easy. I'm probably going to be tired after the third service. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you're, you're probably wondering why is Pastor Dave not here? Did I get my calendar wrong? Is it the third Sunday already? Oh, man. Um, actually, Pastor Dave and I swapped weekends. Normally, I'm with you on the third Sunday of the month, but uh, he is on a road trip. Um, he went out to the East Coast to do a funeral and um, is driving, um, so you can be praying for him, but he just wanted to spend some time and get a long week on the road, or a couple of weeks on the road. He will be back next weekend, and so you can expect him for Father's Day, and a uh, great Father's Day plan for, for you guys uh, next weekend. But uh, my name's Justin. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my pleasure to dive into God's Word together. Um, it's my favorite time of the week. And, uh, you know, we have come upon, if you look outside, you wouldn't think it, but my favorite season of the year, the summertime. Um, and I don't just love summer because of the weather, which we're obviously not experiencing, you know, right now with the June gloom. But um, one of my favorite things about summer is I've had the, the opportunity to work with kids over the last, I don't know, 10 years plus of my life. And I love what I call not just summer season, but what I call the graduation season. When you get to see kids come to the end of that stage of life and their, their high school or even college uh, career, <laughs> um, education, where they, um, you come to that stage of life, and maybe you can remember it yourself when you graduated high school. For some of you, that's, that's easier to remember than others. But you remember that stage where you just kind of feel like the world is open ahead of you. Right? It's, a, it's an open road, a blank canvas. Right, You can go out, you can make mistakes, you can do some big things. You don't have everything figured out. It's kind of one of those stages in life where you can look at the future with hope. I mean, I remember when I was in this stage, I remember graduating high school, and I never really put together what I wanted to do. I mean, I had all these different thoughts that I thought would be cool. But one day after graduating in the summer, my friend goes, hey, what are you going to do? Like, what's, what, what are you going to do in life if you could be anything? And I'm like, well... I kind of want to be a police detective. That sounds really cool. And he's like, okay, sure. You're not going to college this next semester, but I, sure, maybe you could do that. And I'm like, I also have always wanted to live on a boat and travel and just like have no real home, just travel from place to place. And he's like, okay. And I go, and I just want to surf every day. And so he goes, so you're telling me your, your plans for life are to be a traveling, you know, police detective who lives on a boat and surfs every day. I go, yeah, that sounds about right. And he's like, man, you're, you're going to go nowhere in life. And I mean, that career didn't pan out, but it would have been like a bad Netflix TV show. But, uh, you know, um, but, but those things, it's kind of that stage of life where you look ahead and you're like, I can kind of do anything. You, you, you tend to look at life with hope, right? And then life has this way of coming along and, and, and bringing you back down to reality, not that I was really destined to become this traveling, you know, detective in, in every port of the, you know, the coast. But life has this way of bringing you back down to reality as you, as you take on responsibilities, as you take on a family, as you take on a career, as you, as you go through different trials. And as you get older, and you find, man, I, I didn't really do the things I always wanted to do. And, and as, as you kind of begin to become a realist about the world that we live in, you begin to kind of understand, man, it's not so easy to live in this world. People are pretty broken. You turn on the TV, you watch the news, like I always say, and it's like, it's chaos out there. You see people, and, and, and we're all sinners. You realize you maybe make some big mistakes along the way yourself. And, and for whatever reason, we kind of get to this point in life where we can kind of look at the future and, and lose that sense of wonder and hope. Right? Where we kind of are, more than pessimists, we just become realists. We go, eh, it's probably not going to turn out too well. <laughs> I don't expect much from people, and, and they won't really let me down. And we kind of begin to look at life and have this kind of jaded view, or we could. If, if you've been there, then, then you know that feeling. And 
I bring that up because um, as much as it's a, a healthy perspective to be a realist in life and to understand the way things actually work, in some sense, that's not exactly the way God wants us to view the future. And I think today, as we get into Hebrews chapter 11 and the three verses we're going to look at this morning, we get, we get into a, an example of faith that informs us how to view the future in a way that I don't think we're often inclined to do if we just look at it without the hope and faith that, that is being talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. And so if you have your Bibles, um, you can flip open to Hebrews chapter 11. We're in a great series right now um, called Our Journey of Faith. And I kind of titled it that because, you know, I, I didn't just want it to be about faith in the simple sense that, well, let's just define it and let's just understand it and let's move on to the next theological concept or topic. But faith in some sense is deeper because it's this connective connective movement that every single one of us, as we walk with God, as we journey through this life, we develop and we grow and we reflect different aspects of it. And in that same way, he's gone through in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the author who I believe to be Paul the Apostle, he's gone through this chapter and he's just pulling out different aspects or elements of faith, different examples and people who have been faithful. And in some ways, they're rather surprising you know, you've got people like, like Noah, you've got people like Enoch who just walked with God and, and, and was no longer. It was like, you've got these examples where you go, okay, you know, faith is a bit of a mystery in some sense, believing in God and not understanding everything. And then we have examples like last week when we looked at Abraham and the offering of his only son, Isaac. And you see, wow, faith in, in another element, it requires us to let go of something that we hold on to that's dear to us. And to trust that even though we don't know what God's up to, and sometimes we don't know what he's doing, that, that God's still in control. And he's going to bring out another element of faith this morning. It's the final of the, we're going to look at three elements of, of, or three examples of faith. These three guys, the final patriarchs, as we would call in the book of Genesis. Um, and he draws out examples from each of their life. And he kind of ties them together with one common theme. And, and so we're going to look at them each individually, and then we'll put it all together at the end and, and kind of hopefully I'll make sense of it all as we, as we wrap it up. So um, faith, as we look at this in Hebrews chapter 11, let's start in verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. So we'd already mentioned Isaac obviously being... The child of promise, and in the last month, if you were here, you saw that we, we talked about Isaac being Abraham's great child of promise. He was this child that, that God had originally given Abraham this promise to, this promise which started way back in Genesis chapter 12, a promise that God was going to bless him, give him a special land, the, what we would call the promised land later on, and that from his family would come a great nation. And from that nation, would be, that nation would be a blessing unto all peoples of the earth. Ultimately, it was, it was a messianic promise in some sense that from him would come someone or, or, or something that would bless all peoples of the earth. It was looking forward down the line, though they didn't know it quite at the time, down the line at Jesus who was to come from them, who was to bless with salvation the entire world, all who would come to him by faith. And, and so he's kind of laid out this element, and that promise was made to Abraham, Abraham knew that it wasn't going to be fulfilled in his lifetime, and we looked at how he looked ahead and, and journeyed on this earth, knowing that there was a heavenly homeland. But he knew that he was going to have to pass down that promise to his son, and eventually he had Isaac, his son, who we call the son of promise. Now, Isaac's life, I mean, other than, 
being strapped to the wood he was strapped to and almost sacrificed by his dad wasn't very remarkable. Isaac, as, as I'm sure the author of Hebrews here, Paul, looked at his life and was like, wow, this is pretty easy. There's not much in there. I mean, the only remarkable thing from Isaac's life was the, the moment he pawned his wife off as his sister when they came along the Philistines. And the Philistine king came up to him one day and, man, this guy had more faith than Isaac. He goes, why would you even do this? That's crazy. You know, it's, it's wild to even pass your wife off as your sister. And, and Isaac goes, well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what you would do to me. I'm afraid. Isaac was kind of, he's painted as this, this, this guy that didn't have a very, well, I wouldn't call him a dud, but like I would say he doesn't have very many great moments of faith along the way. There's not much to choose from, but, but here's what's kind of interesting. He, he looks to the end of his life in Hebrews chapter 11. He looks to the end of his life and he goes, no, 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 wait. Don't count him out as a dud yet. His final chapter is one of the greatest moments of faith from his entire life. So much so that this guy that doesn't have really much going on in his entire life, I want him in the hall of faith. I don't want you to pass this up. I don't want you to miss us. And it's kind of simple in some sense, but you have to see the picture he's about to paint. It's simple in the sense that he blessed his sons, Jacob and Esau, concerning things to come. It's referring to Genesis chapter 27 there. If you guys know this story, it's a it's kind of a wild story. It's a, quite a dysfunctional story. Most of these Bible story character, characters are. I don't know what that was, but um, kind of a dysfunctional story. If you guys remember, Jacob and Esau, these were the two twin boys that had been born to, to Isaac's wife, Rebekah, and Isaac. And, and Esau had come out before Jacob. Esau was named Red, Harry. He was this hairy kind of like guy's guy. He's the one that, that, you know, as a dad, you're just hoping, you're like, I hope I don't get the, the kid that's going to live on my couch till he's 50 or 60, and, you know, he's going to be the mama's boy. I, I hope I get the manly hunter, you know, guy's guy. Well, that was Esau. Well, and then his second son came along, grabbing the heel of the first son, Jacob. Heel snatcher was what his name meant. And, and he was that. He was tricking his brother all the time. He was kind of the mama's boy of the family. He wasn't the one that... The dad was too proud of, if you would. And there comes a time where we're told in Genesis chapter 27 where Isaac was old. He was well old in age. He was, his eyes were going gray. He was facing death. He was at the end of his life. And he called in Esau and he goes, Esau, come in. I want to bless you, son. But first, being the manly guy you are, go out and kill me some dinner and make me something good. And then I'll bless you. So Esau grabs his gear, you know, and he runs out. He's got his bow and arrow, and he runs out to go hunting and to make dad a meal before he gets his big blessing from dad. Now, Rebecca, the mom, had heard this, and she goes, oh, no. Jacob's going to be on my couch forever. Esau's the go-getter. He's the, you know, he's the manly guy. Esau's going to be here forever, living here till he's 60. Like, we, we need to get that blessing for Esau, or Jacob, I'm sorry. I get all these names mixed up by the end of third service. We need to get that blessing for Jacob. So she comes up with some plan. She dresses up Jacob like Esau. Makes his arms hairy, puts goat's, goat's hair on his arms and on his neck. Puts on Esau's stinky clothes so he smells like Esau. And brings him in before his dad with a great meal and says, Hey, Isaac, here's, here's your son Esau. It was really Jacob. I want you to bless him. And so Isaac, being old and, and well on in years, smells him, feels him, hears him, and goes, wait, you don't sound like him, but you feel like him and you smell like him, so let me bless you. And what Isaac does is he blesses Jacob in the place of Esau, not knowing, 
quite a dysfunctional family, right? You know, they're stealing from one another. Mom's like, mom's pairing up with one kid over another. Dad likes one kid over another. Like, the opposite of all modern pop parenting, you know, techniques and psychology. But here they are. Isaac looks on, and well, it doesn't look on because he's blind. He feels on, and he blesses Jacob. And he passes on the very same blessing that he had received in some sense. That great promise he had received, he says to, to, to Jacob, you will inherit a great land. And he talks about how awesome that land will be, and he says, you will become a great nation so that all other nations will bow down before you. He goes, that promise that was promised to my grandpa, Abraham, that was promised to me, Isaac, I'm now passing along to you. Now that scene wraps up and Esau comes in with his meal. You know, he's cooked for dad and Esau walks in, goes to give him something and, and dad goes, wait, who are you? I've already blessed you, Esau. And Esau freaks out. He has a meltdown and he goes, what do you mean you blessed me? And, and Isaac goes, I can't take it back. I know that God's going to bless your brother whom I just, who just tricked me and stole your blessing. Nonetheless, he gives Esau a blessing. Not quite as great as Jacob's blessing. But the focus here in this quite dysfunctional situation, this kind of odd family dynamic, is not that in his blindness Isaac messed all this up. No, as Hebrews chapter 11 looks back at this, it goes, by faith. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. There was something in that, 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 that Isaac was looking at his kids, Isaac was looking at the future and saying, look, even as weird and messed up as this is, even as mistake-ridden as, as my family is, even though I haven't done that great of a thing in my life, I'm looking at you and I'm, I'm going, you know what, God's going to continue to work. And he blesses his kids. Now kind of, Put a mental marker there. Let's go on to the next verse in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 21 with me. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. So just kind of like Isaac, he, he looks to the end of Jacob's life now. Now Jacob, you guys know, I mean, Jacob, if you've read the scriptures, if you know Jacob's story, Jacob had a pretty... A pretty awesome life. He had, a lot had happened with him and God. He started out kind of as a dud, right? He was mama's boy and had to steal and, and, and get his blessing any way he could. But as bad as that looked, he actually developed into someone who had some, some great adventures with God. You remember he had that moment where he fell asleep at Bethel and had that dream, that vision from God that he saw the ladder there and the angels going up and down. And then when he woke up, God renewed his covenant and said, look, that promise that was made to your dad, Isaac, that promise that was made to Abraham belongs to you. And I'm with you, Jacob. Jacob went on to, I mean, he did some great things. I mean, I guess you could say this is great. He worked for, for nearly 20 years to earn his brides, right? He had that whole debacle with his uncle Laban. And he was totally in love with, with his daughter Rachel. And so he worked, Laban said, look, if you work for seven years and you shepherd for me and you keep my sheep, then I'm going to allow you to, to marry my daughter Rachel. And he was so infatuated. He loved her so much that he worked for seven whole years being faithful. God blessed everything that he did. And then at the end of seven years, I don't know how this happens. I can't explain it to you. But on wedding night, uh, Laban pulled a sneaky one and had him marry his sister or Rachel's sister, Leah. 
But Jacob was still so smitten with Rachel, he worked another seven years for Laban to earn her. Working as a shepherd, you know, all the while slaving away, working for this guy, he finally gets the wife. I mean, he would die to know that we have 90-day fiancé now, right? It's like to know that he worked 14 years to get the woman he wants. And, and there's TV shows where guys do it in less than that. But I don't even want to go into that show. Um, but he goes on, and it's like this guy with his, his life. You remember the moment where he was on the, if you do, he's on the run from Esau. There's some bad family blood after over 20 years where they've been separated. Esau's hunting him down, and, and, and Jacob sends his family ahead and goes down to the brook, and, and there he encounters this man of God who he wrestles with all night, whom he finds out in the end is God himself. And Jacob wrestled with this man of God all night long and was prevailing as dawn broke, but then the man of God touched him in his hip, you remember? And dislocated his hip, and his hip comes out. And for the rest of his life, well, Jacob held on to him and said, look, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And the guy, the man of God, blessed him and, and gave him a blessing there and changed his name to Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. The future name of the people of God, the future identity and moniker of this people, people who would wrestle with God and walk with God. And it's like that same Jacob walked for the rest of his life with this limp on this staff. And I tell you all that so that you kind of read back in verse 21 of Hebrews chapter 11, and you hear this again where it says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Right? The sons of Joseph were there. The son that he thought he had lost, who had been sold into slavery by the brothers, who thought was dead for most of his life, he's there looking at not just his son Joseph, but his grandkids from Joseph. And you have to picture the scene there as Jacob's at the end of his life. And he's got his staff in his hands. That staff represents so much to him. The limp, the shepherding, the whole, the whole journey with God up until that moment. And he leans. It's not like the lights came down and Pastor Nate came out with the band and struck up worship songs and you know, he started a worship service. No, he's leaning on the staff and it's just this touched moment in his heart where he looks and he sees his grandkids. He never even thought he would see this son again. And he sees now the grandkids from this son. And he remembers how faithful God has been. He remembers how God has been there with him. And he leans on that staff and he blesses those kids. And he gives to them, Genesis chapter 48. I, I love what, you know, the, the blessing he gave to them. He says this in Genesis 48. He says, bless these lads, Lord. Let my name be named upon them. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac... And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. He goes, look, that blessing that you gave me, Lord, I want to pass on to these kids. That blessing that you gave to my dad, Lord, and my, my grandpa, Abraham, I want to pass on to my grandkids. I remember that you've been there. I remember that you've blessed me, Lord. And now I want to pass it on to them. So if you're seeing a little bit of a pattern here, follow me on to the next verse in Hebrews. Such an important one. By faith, verse 22, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. So Joseph, another person with a great story, Paul could have picked any number of awesome moments from Joseph's life. If you're familiar with the scriptures, if you've read Genesis, then you know Joseph is one of the greatest figures in all the Bible. 
I mean, from the moment he was born, he was a promised child too. His dad favored him over all his other brothers, gave him that little pretty coat of many colors, right? Got him in some trouble when he, when he started revealing the dreams he was having, how he was going to be over his brothers and over even his father and mother. And, and you remember, his brothers in jealousy sold him into slavery. You know, brothers, we do that. It's like, it's just, we fight, we argue. It's like, and these guys, man, extra brutal in that day. They were going to kill him. And their oldest brother, Reuben, stepped in, and, and they sold him into slavery, went back to their dad, told him he was dead. In slavery, Joseph rises up. He's sold into, the, uh, into Potiphar's household and, and his, his, works his way up the ranks, only to be accused of, of wrongdoing with Potiphar's wife and, and thrown into jail. Where he's on this roller coaster his whole life, right? Where we see he's faithful. He still holds on. He trusts God. And, and in jail, he rises up to the head of the jail so that everything underneath the, the jail master was put into Joseph's charge. And Joseph eventually, through God's work and God's, God's grace, Joseph eventually rises to the position of second in all of Egypt. For all practical sake, he ran the greatest empire in the world. Many, many, many moments along the way that the author of Hebrews could have picked out and said, now that is faith, look at that. But I always pass this over, and I never really thought much of it. The author of Hebrews goes to the very end, the last chapter of Genesis, and the very last moment of Joseph's life that we have recorded. And he says, you want to see faith? <laughs> Joseph, in, in Hebrews chapter, in Genesis chapter 50, listen to what he says. Joseph says this to his brothers. He calls his brothers in as he's dying, and he says in, in verse 24 and 25 of Genesis chapter 50, I am dying but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Right? And this is what Hebrews looks back on and says, by faith, Joseph looked at the situation ahead of him, right? It's got to be a tough thing for him, right? He's the one who took care of his whole family. He's the one who's second in charge in all of Egypt. He's the one who, the very reason his family's still in existence and has food on the table and, and are protected and, and cared for in Egypt is because of him. He's looking at death and he looks at his family and he goes, don't worry. Even after I die, God is going to continue to bless you. He's going to be faithful to his promises, and he goes, not only that, but I'm so, and I pass this up all the time, I'm so in on it that I want you guys to get a U-Haul and carry my bones around with you because when you get to that promised land, that's where I'm going to be buried. Kind of a morbid thing, like a weekend at Bernie's, you know, Uncle Joseph's always with us, but like, it's like, I want you there, I want you to know that I'm going to be buried in the promised land, and I know that even after I die right now, God's going to continue to work and be faithful. And I always pass that by, but, but if you think about it, what a moment of, of faith. And with all of these guys, right, as they wrap up their life, it's like uh, these are each amazing instances of faith. And if you, if you miss this, then you really miss something about, important about our future and faith. Right? With each of these instances of faith, these guys were at the end of their life. Right? And understand this. They were facing the greatest enemy that any of them had ever faced, death. Right, these guys had been to jail and prison. They had taken on and fought battles. They had you know, been slaves at different times. These patriarchs didn't necessarily have it easy. 
But in all the things they faced, I think the one thing that they could look at and go, oh man, there's no getting past this. Oh man, if any reason they had to be bummed out, anxious, look at the future and go, oh, there's not much hope now. I'm about to die. I'm about to go somewhere that I can't come back. I can't help. I can't do anything anymore. Death is kind of the end, at least here on earth, right? And these guys are looking at that, and they have this faith that transcends death. They have this faith, and this is what's so amazing, that looks past death and goes, you know what, tomorrow, God is still there. Tomorrow, God is still faithful. Tomorrow, God is still working. That's, I mean, for me, that's a struggle. Because I'm a person of today. I want everything today. I want everything now. I, I mean, we all love instant gratification. We all love to not wait for things. We all want, you know, our Amazon Prime stuff delivered. Gosh, they come so early in the morning now, like 4 a.m. They drop stuff off at of your house. It's crazy. It's like, but that's the world we live in. We, want, we don't want to wait. We don't want to, you know, take the slow lane. We don't want to sit in traffic. We don't want pain. We don't want suffering. We don't want scars. And we sure don't want death. But these guys had a faith that didn't just look at those things and think, oh, how do I get out of them? It looked past those things and said, you know what? No matter what happens, God's still God. God's still moving. God's still working in our, in our venting system. You see, these guys, their faith and their hope for the future was not tied to their present situation. It was, in a God and a sh- it was in God and the surety of his promises and word. Right? And because of that, there came this moment for each and every one of them, and this is so important for us to realize, that when they understood and when they p- truly knew that God was going to be there in the future, it affected what they did with right now. Because they were able to let go, to be a blessing, to pass on something that God had blessed them with to the next generation. Right? They found that they came to this point where they didn't need to hold on to, store up, be afraid of what lied ahead. But they were looking at the future with faith. And they saw that God was there. They saw that God was going to keep his promises, that God was going to make a way. So they looked at the future with hope, and in the present, they were able to bless others. Right? There's this great moment that comes when you realize, man, Our future, it's like the old missionary, William Carey, one of the father of uh, modern missions said, he said, the future is only as bright as the promises of God. And it's so true when you can learn to look at the future like that, that you know what? No matter what happens today, no matter what I face, I need to understand this. God continues on. It's like the song that we sang, he never stops working. He's there in the future, not just for me, but for my kids. Not just for them, but for the grandkids. Not just for that generation, but but for whatever generation comes, God is not done. And there's, there's this sense when you get this. There's this sense of relief and the sense of saying, you know what I have right now? My time, my resources, my, my words, my finances, whatever it is in my life, I don't have to hold on to that like there is no tomorrow. I don't have to store up for myself like, I'm never going to, I mean, I think of my brothers when, when I think of this. I grew up in a house, I'm the oldest of four boys. I think I might have told you that before. And there's one thing about being in a house with four boys. If you have a lot of kids, you know this. Dinner time is crazy. 
it is a fiasco and a show around my house. Four teenage boys sitting down to eat. It's like, it's wild. You better keep your hand off the middle of the table because you will lose it. And it's like, when my mom would make spaghetti or whatever, it's like, we claimed every meatball, I'm sorry for the weird popping noises, but we claimed every meatball, every piece of garlic bread. I mean, we would just drink cups of milk to one-up each other. We would fight. We would argue. It was like, except for the vegetables, you know, you would die if you messed with any of the food in the table there. And it was like, that's how it was for four boys, right? And we argue and we fight and we, we claw over the good stuff. But I love my grandfather, my, gra- my mom's dad, my grandfather on her side. He knew exactly what to do with four boys. He would come to our games for the day. He'd come in town, go to the games, take us out. Um, uh, and then take us out to dinner. And he didn't have to take us to like a fancy steakhouse. He didn't have to do anything crazy like that. We never went out to dinner, so going out was a treat for us. It was like he knew the one place he could take this, you know, Lord of the Flies type group of kids that like surefire would be the greatest place every time. You know where it was? The Sizzler's All-You-Can-Eat Salad Bar Buffet, right? You ever been there? Then you know growing up, it's like... I mean, it, I can't speak for the quality of the food that was reheated and frozen, you know, like, but I, I could tell you, you never saw this group of boys, me and my brothers, be so cordial to one another, so encouraging of one another. We used to be like, how many plates can you eat? And we'd have contests, you know, try and eat the amount of plates as your age. So I'm eating like 14 plates of food, and he's eating 12 plates of food, and it was like... I mean, we could drop food, we would share stuff, we would go get ice cream cones for each other. It was like, it was probably the only peace and and harmony my mom ever got out of us was when we went to that Sizzler's All-You-Can-Eat salad bar. And in some sense, that's what knowing you have a buffet ahead of you does to you, right? It's like if you go on a cruise, you're not all worried about the first plate of food. (laughs) You know there's more to come. And that's kind of, in, in, in some weird way, kind of the mentality that I think comes along with being people of blessing and how we look at our future. Look, if I look at my future and I take God out of the picture, then I got to hold on for today. I got to store up for today. If there's no God in my future, if God doesn't continue on after this moment with me, then man, hold on because this is all you get. This world is all you've got and it's like, hold on and grab for yourself and And God goes, look, don't you understand that tomorrow I'm still there? With your kids, I'm still working? Don't you understand like Jacob, as he leaned on that staff, as he looked back at his past and saw how faithful God was to him, that he's going to be there tomorrow? He might think like, I don't know, it's hard. It's hard to let go of things. It's hard to bless people with other things. Maybe they don't deserve it. Maybe they're, they're not worthy of it. Maybe you need to work hard on your own so that you get what you deserve. And it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. Well, put yourself in the shoes of these guys. None of these guys were great prospects when they were blessed. I mean, think of Joseph at the end here, at the end of the list. Who did Joseph bless? Well, he blessed these brothers who had sold him out, tried to murder him. He blessed people. He had to come from a position where he was the one holding everything together. He was the one in charge of the Egyptian empire, providing and taking care of his family. And he's going and he's looking at tomorrow and he's going, look, he could very easily say, look, when I die, it's going to suck for you guys because your free meal train is gone. The guy who's taking care of you, the one who's responsible in this family is gone. But instead, he looked at these brothers who had sold him out. He looked at his family 
who wasn't the one who had earned everything along the way. And he said, you know what? I'm going on. But God is still blessing. God is still here. Look at Jacob. When Jacob called and stood before Joseph, his son, and he blessed his two grandkids, you know those grandkids, they didn't come from the greatest place. Those grandkids, if you know anything about who Joseph married, Joseph married the daughter of the high priest of Egypt. It's like on one side you've got Jacob, the grandpa who's walking with God. On the other side you have this pagan Egyptian grandpa over on that side. It's like, and these kids born, half Egyptian kids in his family, it's like he's got to be looking at at them and going, oh no, the future is not going to be very good. These Egyptian kids. You know, you you turn on the TV and you look at kids nowadays, right? And you say, oh, oh no. The future's not looking good. Look at these kids, what they do, how they act, and what they wear, and what they say, right? We can easily have the same perspective, right? But Joseph, or Jacob looked at it, and he goes, you know what? I'm not going to judge them based on this moment. I'm not going to judge them based on what it looks like right now. I'm going to judge this future based on who I know is going to be there, and that's God. And I know, as I lean on my staff and think about all the times God has been there for me, I know that he's going to be there for them. And he's going to keep his promises. And he's going to continue to move and do what he said he's done. So I can let go. And I can bless them. Same if you go up all the way to Isaac when he looked at Jacob, the little sneaky heel catcher. (laughs) Dysfunctional situation, sure. Mom switching one brother for another. I mean, moms aren't supposed to do that kind of stuff, right? And she's picking one kid over the other and, and sneaking him in instead of Esau and sticking Esau out to, coal, you know, out to, out to the pasture, if you would. Like, it's like this is mom and, and, and Jacob in this situation. And still Isaac said, you know what? Even though this blessing got all mixed up, God's going to continue to work. I'm going to let it go. Because God's going to be there. You see, each of these guys could look at the future with hope. Because they knew, no matter what happened to me today, God's going to continue to work tomorrow. He never stops. He continues to be faithful to the promises he's made. He continues to be faithful to that which he's revealed. And in some sense, that's what we have to start with as we're Christians. To know that the very nature of God is a a God of blessing. A God who continues to work with us even though we don't deserve it. Even though we couldn't earn it. I mean, it says in in John chapter 1 verse 16, it says, From his fullness we've been given grace upon grace. Such a thought that God, his very character and nature is to look at us and to say, You know what I want to bless? From all that I am, I want to give to you. Grace upon grace. You don't deserve it. You couldn't earn it. You're never going to look at me and go, God, look how great I am. Aren't you glad you made that decision? Aren't you glad you chose to invest in me? No, for, for all of our time in this world, we're going to be sin-filled human beings who are, who are walking by faith and trying to just relate to God. And he goes, look, it's out of my goodness that I bless you. It's out of my nature that I give to you. And I continue to work. That I've given my only begotten son that I love you, that I would pour out my life for you. And he says, when you realize how good I've been to you, when you realize how much I've blessed you, when you realize how faithful I've been to you, you can now look at your future and have hope. No matter what you're facing. You can have hope no matter what lies ahead. 
You can have hope no matter how many disappointments you have along the way. Because I'm there tomorrow. And I'm there the day after that. And as we look at our lives, the question we have to ask ourselves is, when I look at my tomorrow, do I really, really, truly trust that God is there? When I look beyond that at the future and the future generations to come, do I really, really, really trust that the same God that was there for me and same God that's been there in the past will be there for them too? If I'm willing to look at life in the future like that, then now I can look at my present and I can say, you know what, I can let go. God, I can be one who blesses others. God, I can be one who's not so tied up and focused on me mentality in life that I'm missing the big picture. God, I can now reflect who you are in my life, a God of blessing, a God of grace. And how I talk to others, I can look, even if someone doesn't deserve it, I can say to them, you know what, Lord, bless them. You know what, I, I know that you're going to have, God's going to continue to work. And even when I see people mess up in their lives, I can say to them, you know what, God is going to be faithful even if you haven't been. And we can use our words to build up and bless others, just like these patriarchs did. In our time and the ways that we serve, we don't have to have our time all about me and my time and my schedule and my this and my that, but it's like, you know what, Lord, where do you want to use me? How can I bless others who need help? And like I said, the very nature of a blessing and being a blessing is that you give to others something that they haven't earned and deserved or, or warranted on their own. The very nature of blessing is that you're giving to someone else something from yourself. And, and, and I tell you, I, I mean, I see it. It's like we have events like VBS. And you, you never see it more, more clearly than when you see people go on and pour out for the next generation. People come in and volunteer to lead kids and to, to guide them and introduce Jesus to them. When they give of themselves, it's like, this is what God is talking about. People that would say, you know what, I want to be a blessing to others. I mean, financially, I, I can tell you as a, as a youth pastor, I've been here for years and I've seen you guys donate so much money on these bake sales, you know. I know where we sell you these unhealthy donuts and, and, and guilt you into giving, but it's like every dollar you guys have spent and given for these bake sales has gone towards kids that get to go to a camp that will change their lives. At the end of every senior year, I sit down with a lot of the seniors and I ask them, what's one thing and one memory that God has implanted in your brain above others? Every single one of them, it's, it's happened at camp. When I gave my life to Jesus at this camp. When God spoke to me during the most depressing time of my life at that camp. And it's like thing after thing. And you guys gave to that and you poured into the next generation. And it's like, this is how blessing works. You're willing to let go of something that's valuable and important to you. Your time, your money, your effort, your energy, your, your own image even. When you're blessing others and saying something nice to them. And you're willing to say, you know what, I'm not afraid of tomorrow. I know that God's got that, so I'm willing to give today. And that's what being a blessing means. And as, as we look at this passage and we kind of just wrap it up, I think God goes, look, I want you to be a people, a people of hope. A people who look at the future with hope and say, you know what, even if it doesn't involve me, God's going to do some amazing and great things. And I'm part of that family. So I can look at tomorrow, and I don't have to be afraid. I have this faith that transcends death. And as we're people of hope, we can now look at today and say, look, I'm also a person of, person of blessing. Not the type of person of blessing who looks for me, 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 
The type of person of blessing who says, you know what, God, you've been so good. You've given me so much. I want to give out to others. I want to be the salt and light that you call me to be in this world. And if I'm not that type of person right now, then I want to change. And I want to be a person who does and gives because that's a reflection of truly who you are, God. You see, these three patriarchs at the end, it's like, at first you kind of think, man, they had greater moments than this, didn't they? But then you realize it and you go, wow, this is the essence of faith. The ability to look at tomorrow and say, you know what, God, you're still there and you're still going to bless. You don't stop. And the ability to take today and say, you know what, God, because of that, I can let go. And I can be a reflection of who you are in the lives of other people. So as we do that this week, man, I just pray that you guys impact your families, your kids, your grandkids, the people around you, your neighbors, your work. I mean, think of all the interactions we have. And if we're this type of person, are we the type of person that looks at what we can get? We're the type of person that has such a great view of the future that we look and we think, what can we give? How can we bless? How can we be a light? Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so very much. That in your nature, you are a God of blessing. And that you look at us and you pour out upon us that which we could never earn or deserve on our own. You have chosen us and you have loved us in ways that we don't deserve. That we mess up all the time. We're thankful, so very thankful for you, Jesus, and the forgiveness you offer to each and every one of us. The grace that you pour out on our lives. The eternity that we have with you because of your love and your sacrifice. As we look at our lives, help us to not look at our futures without first putting it through that perspective of the fact that you will always be there. That you are eternal God and you are faithful. That God, from the beginning to the end, Lord, and beyond that, you continue working. So help us to take what you give us in the present, to not just hoard it up for ourselves, not just hold on to it as as if there's no tomorrow, but to to pour that out on on others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you guys want to stand,